live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, and comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to keep the conversation rolling with you after the show, too. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in on the social media. You can find all our accounts there. Parlay points, new comics blogs dropping this week, the T Public Store, so you can get some brand new swag for the holiday season. All of that and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag odphpod on social media. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap an event that happened over Cyber Monday. It was more deadly than uh, Black Friday, believe it or not. You would have to think so. And we knew that there was going to be some hype in there. We have to give credit to Padawan J2. Told you so. He did call it, but man, oh man, oh man, were we expecting what happened on Cyber Monday involving Spider-Man No Way Home. I can say yes because go back and listen to I forget if it was a previous episode or the one before that, but I said, you know, record shows that ticket sale, once this these tickets go on sale, it's going to be as bad as some of the Star Wars, recent Star Wars films and Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. And I was right. No, you're definitely right. I didn't think it was going to be as bad as Endgame. Endgame was a whole different animal. But... No Way Home crashed every site you were trying to get tickets on when they decided to drop it at midnight on Cyber Monday. 12.01, but yeah. no. To be specific, yeah. Yeah, it it dropped on 12.01 Monday uh, morning, Cyber Monday, across the globe, which probably a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Fandango, Regal, AMC, like literally any movie theater chain that sells tickets online crashed and i was following some people online who were detailing the headaches of getting it one friend of mine was in a queue uh for one of his local theaters he doesn't live in the area uh and he had a wait time of like 32 35 minutes something like that he's like oh that's not that bad and then it increased to you know mind you it's like one in the morning it was midnight you know so he's like, oh, that's not too bad. And then it increased to 45 minutes, and then it increased to 56 minutes. And he went, yeah, fuck this, I'm going to bed. Now, with that being said, obviously, it's going to be the hottest ticket in town in December. People are selling it on eBay for like 25 grand. Which is insane. Uh-huh. And I'm sorry, I cannot endorse spending that much money on a movie ticket when you can wait a week after the hype goes down. To just go at a, a normal price. I'm sorry. I can't condone it. If you want to spend that money and you got that money to spend, hey, do you. Me? Hell no. I'm already kind of fired up that it's a little more expensive than usual for tickets, in my humble opinion, to go Thursday night. But nevertheless, we'll be down there. The whole 607 Podcast fam is going. But with that being said, Pad, do you think the expectations of this movie are really too high to hit? Uh I see. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Of course, we know that Sony, after you know however many years, is finally getting their Sinister Six movie. 
you know, that they've had an absolute hard on for go back through the history and, and see the history of the Spider-Man films that didn't happen and what they wanted to do. They've wanted to do a Sinister Six movie. So, you know, you're finally getting that. And then with the rumored, you know, we got to say rumored because it hasn't been officially confirmed yet. We haven't seen them on screen. Rumored return of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. You know, I expect the film to be great just given the fact that you've got Spider-Man facing all of these villains. But I feel that if Toby and Andrew aren't in this movie that we've gone on for so long, you know, and I and I realize they've denied it and I realize they haven't said that even Tom Holland has said they're not in it. So there's ultimately they're ultimately in a win great or they fail utterly situation where if they're in it, awesome. It's you know, it's a win for them. The fans are going to absolutely love it. But if they're not in it, I'm afraid that the, the blowback and the fan reaction to them not being in it is going to be such that the movie will be a, you know, not necessarily a financial failure, but, you know, just a, a what people thought of it failure. Well, you have to take this in perspective that with this much hype surrounding this movie, it has to deliver mm-hmm. because for generating the ticket buzz that it did. And it literally shut down everything to kick off Cyber Monday. It was bad enough that, you know, I was following Brandon Davis from comicbook.com, you know, who lives in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Mm-hmm. They got a fair number of theaters down in uh, Nashville. And he was saying, he, I think he was looking on Fandango, it was acting like there were no theaters in Nashville, which yeah. I know is not the case. Well, I know our guys down at ECA were having tough times getting in. I think everybody was because everybody's expectations from what the MCU has done since it's come back from Avengers Endgame has just kept raising the bar. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it from the beginning of this year when it was WandaVision and how everybody was blown away and it captured mainstream fans. See, that's one thing that I don't think a lot of people are recognizing with this. Mm -hmm. With the success of the Disney Plus shows, there are a lot more eyes on the MCU and its properties than ever before. And I know that some people are going to do a double take when I say that, but think about it. Yeah. When Avengers Endgame hit, it shut down everything. Obviously, it's the biggest movie of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, its pre-sale uh, tickets were in the uh, 42 to $43 million range. And, and reportedly, the uh, Spider-Man for, uh, No Way Home pre-sale tickets, in just in tw- then the 42, 43s are just in the first 24 hours. Reportedly, uh, No Way Home did 40-plus, because there's no exact numbers. There's a bunch of numbers floating around. But uh, No Way Home is in the 40-plus million dollar range uh, for the first 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely insane to think. But for the success that the MCU and Disney Plus shows have had, I mean, the only misfire, and it's debatable, but you know where we stand on that. You can go listen to an episode or two ago, is Eternals. Yeah. Everything else has been pretty much a win-win for them. Mm -hmm. So the bar is set so high, and let's face it, Spider-Man is one of the most popular, if not the most popular superhero in all of fandom. Oh, yeah, and and the Spider-Man films were popular way before he was in the MCU. I mean, just go look at the box office numbers. Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, so there's already a lot, like even my sister, who isn't the biggest Marvel fan, isn't really the biggest MCU fan, she still enjoys seeing, you know, the Spider-Man films. You know, she's all enjoyed those over the years. You know, so it's one of those films that, you know, the MCU fans are going to turn out for the comic book fans are going to turn out for but you're going to get so much of the casual fan because spider-man is such a recognizable character yeah that's just something that they're going to have to dance with with this movie and they have to deliver on it the hype has been built up so much that 
if this is a subpar movie, mm-hmm. the fans are the re- the reaction by fans is going to be absolutely toxic. Unfortunately, because now you have set that bar so high, it's such a struggle to go get a ticket. The expectation level it was already high to begin with, and now come opening night, that has to deliver. You have to have a almost perfect film. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy to think it's gotten to this point, but this is how much the MCU has now captured more fans and brought them in. Yeah, no, and and you know we already knew it was an anticipated film, but just the numbers and the tickets and all the ticket information is just really setting in stone. If you didn't already believe it, of just how anticipated this film was, because you know reading from an article on Deadline.com. Uh, you know, they, uh, it says, quote, while some of in the industry are still trying to blame a lackluster box office on the pandemic, think again, Sony's Spider-Man No Way Home in its first day of pre-sales yesterday on Fandango saw its best day since 2019's Avengers Endgame. The pre-sales for Spider-Man No Way Home, which out, which opens December 17th, outstripped the first day of advanced ticket sales of Black Widow in two hours' time. Jesus. That Disney Marvel uh, movie previously owning the online ticket retailer's best record of 2021. The first day pre-sales for Spider-Man No Way Home are higher than those for pre-pandemic titles such as Infinity War, Spider-Man Far From Home, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Rogue One, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. That's insane. Trying to wrap my head around that. See, I figured Endgame would be the toughest competition. It got close. Like it, from the rough numbers I've seen, uh, Endgame in the first twenty-four hours was like I said, forty-two to forty-three million dollars, and far and uh, No Way Home was in like a little over forty. I mean, it just goes to show about how many people are excited about this film. Uh huh. And we all thought it was going to be big, but I don't think I don't even think Sony was expecting it to be this big. Mm-hmm. You have to take this with a grain of salt. You have to be obviously. Very, very happy with the numbers because you're going to make your budget back and then some. Yeah. The, the de- Easily after the first yeah, week. The Deadline article even quotes a uh, gentleman by the name of Rick Roman, uh, who they say is the beamed Kentucky exhibitor. Uh, he, he spoke about his pre-sales for Spider-Man No Way Home saying, quote, I have not seen anything like this in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Once the tickets went on sale, they went through the roof. I added more screens. Thank you, Sony. Yeah. I mean, how wild. It's insane. It's absolutely crazy to see. And so now... The countdown is on. I you're not going to see another trailer get released. You're not going to see anything else. I, I, yeah, they, I know. I know there's speculation, but you're just not going to see it. It's not going to happen, and, and nor should they. I think there would be such a letdown if they decided to do it. You've already given us enough, and they actually did not Sony the trailer. Yes, we don't really know exactly everything to the movie, which I mean they've had a, a history where they've done yeah. it, where it's, it's came out. Spade is a spade, folks, in our opinions. Uh huh. But now we have enough to go on into the theaters. There's genuine excitement going on. And then they decided to tag on an announcement too, Pat. Yeah, so it was announced by, I believe it was Amy Pascal, that uh, they're going to, once this film is wrapped up and done, they're going to do another uh, trilogy with Tom Holland uh, down the road. See, now that is very interesting that they've said Tom Holland will be a part of another trilogy. Yeah, so the quote uh, directly is, uh, this was in an interview with Fandango. She said, this is not the last movie that we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. Well, duh, because the rights go back. If, <laughs> rights go back if they don't. Yeah. Uh, we are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. We're thinking of this as three films, and now we're going uh, to go on to the next three. This is not the last of our MCU movies. Yes, Marvel and Sony are going to keep uh, going together as partners, close quote. 
Okay, so initial takes on this. One, smart move by Sony. Yeah, say no shit. Yeah, this is probably the best thing they could do because, let's face it, they have had a very unique relationship with their Spider-Man films in the uh, audience. They have mixed results, you know, yes. in terms of the box office. Obviously, the first two did very well. Third one, yeah, not, not yeah. so-so in terms of box office sales. Right. You know, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, first one did, eh, okay, nothing fantastic. And then the second one was just an absolute bomb, and I remember that very distinctly. Sony screaming from the mountaintops that that movie was going to make a billion dollars, and it never did. Right. And then they finally saw the light did the deal with Marvel and put him in the MCU, and it's been uh, dollar signs ever since. Well, you have to take in perspective, too. When they got the rights, Marvel uh, was not in the best place financially oh, yeah. that they were. Oh, yeah. And that's why everybody's you know rights went to every different theaters and such. It's a whole time period. You can go research it yourselves. It's just, the 90s is uh, a very weird time for Marvel. There might be a documentary about it someplace. Uh, yeah. I think if not, somebody really needs to make one because some of those decisions, in my opinion, whoo. But... When they started coming out with their own franchise, and they had the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans, yeah. which were fantastic. The first two are some of the best f- superhero films you'll ever see. Yeah. With Tobey Maguire playing the lead role. They really hit the mark. They mm-hmm. really captured the essence of Spider-Man, who had been basically in film purgatory. We never thought we were going to see this movie. I mean, James Cameron was tagged to it at one point. Oh, interesting. And that never, yeah, it just it never came to fruition. But there, I, there were so many people that were getting tagged and left and right. So when we finally got the movie, it hit, and everybody got so excited, and it was a box office smash. The sequel is even better. Oh yeah, with Alfred Molina playing Doctor Octopus as his main rival. The third film, though, is when they kind of everything fell apart. And, yeah, and you can point X, Y, and Z. Let's face it, when you try cramming in too many villains and too many characters and not giving them enough time to flesh out a story, it never works. It still doesn't to this day. Well, it depends on who you got making the film, and Marvel has proven they can do it, but huh, Sony, yeah, not so Right, much. but the benchmark was already set because when they tried doing it with Toby or, uh, Topher Grace's uh, Venom yeah. and Sandman yeah. and, it, and just how all over the place that film was, yeah, it just didn't connect. So, I mean, when the franchise had to reboot and they went to Andrew Garfield... They try modernizing it a little bit. Well, they didn't necessarily have to reboot. Their hand got forced. Because, right. Because Raimi, I forget who the... Vi- Raimi wanted to do certain villains. I forget who they were. I thought now. it was a lizard. Yeah, I think it was lizard. We could be wrong. It's been over 15 years. Yeah. You know, Raimi wanted to do lizard, I believe. The studio wanted to go and do vulture. Yes. I, he wanted to do vulture. They wouldn't agree. So Raimi walked and in turn... Toby Maguire and Kirsten Dunst both said, if Raimi's not doing it, we're not doing it. And so they decided, all right, fine, we'll just reboot. Yeah, and the Andrew Garfield met with a lot of mixed reactions. Yeah. I personally am not a fan. First one's okay. First one is tolerable to a yeah. degree, in my opinion. Second one is awful, and I and I maintain I have not seen that movie, even when it's on TV. I have not seen that movie since I saw it in theaters. And, yeah. I, and I own it. Yeah, I, I can't pull myself to even buy them. I, I, I skip them on rewatches. I just can't. It's not that Andrew Garfield was awful. He did a great Spider-Man. Yeah, he, he was a uh, top. Tobey Maguire was a great Peter. Yeah. Andrew Garfield was a great Spider-Man. Yeah. Tom Holland is the best of both. Yeah, he's the, he's the perfect mix of both. And when he came in to do Homecoming, that's when the bar was really set. Obviously, when he came into Civil War, MCU fans finally got the franchise player involved. Mm-hmm. And that changed the dynamic. If you really want to take it back, Iron Man was the catalyst to get the MCU going, obviously. Yeah. And if that movie bombed, we never would have had an MCU. Facts. But when once we got 
Spider-Man in the MCU. Civil War changed the game for everybody. Mm-hmm. And you can try saying otherwise, but let's face it. Once we finally saw Spider-Man with Captain America and Iron Man, yeah. everything changed. And then once he got more involved in the MCU, the idea of we now have a shared universe finally really brought people in. And then we almost lost it because the two sides couldn't agree. Like, And I, there was a story that came out within the last couple of months. They were in the middle of filming. Yeah. Uh, uh, no Way Home or... Far from home, whatever. Uh, far from home. Far from home. Sorry, there are way too many homes in this trilogy. Yeah, in this trilogy, this is true. You know, they were in the middle of filming Far from Home, and then you had the kerfuffle with the potential split from Marvel and slash Disney and Sony, where Sony was going to take their ball home and, and pout. You know, but then you had Tom Holland's uh, drunken call to Bob Iger at whatever time it was <laughs> that saved the franchise. This is true. If you don't realize of how much Tom Holland loves his character and loves the MCU. Go back and research his Hail Mary pass that he made to Bob Iger. He, Bob Iger has said this himself. Tom Holland drunkenly called him in one night and begged him you know, to not let Spider-Man leave the MCU. Yeah, he's smart about this because he knew the potential with this character and how much it was going to mean to fans. And obviously when we heard that Sony was going to take their ball and go home again, it was not resonating with anybody. We've seen your track record when you try things on your own. Outside, you know, I'll, I'll take the animated film out of this because I don't think this really counts in this. Right, An- animated is a whole different animated entity whole different. in its own right. But in terms of the, you know, live action films, if we're talking baseball averages, you've got two hits and three misses, so you're 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 below five hundred there. Exactly. So when the thought of him leaving the MCU came into play. It scared fans. Uh-huh. I remember that episode we recorded. You can go back and hear the despair in our voice. Like, this is really happening. Like, we finally got Spidey back in. Everybody was coming home, and now he's gone again. But Tom Holland wound up saving the day. Obviously, money heals a lot of wounds in Hollywood. Everybody got together. Everybody got paid. Far From Home blew up. And now we're coming into No Way Home. And now the announcement of more movies. Yeah. Which is great, except the only thing that scares me a little bit to a degree is if they're going to really try forcing Tom Holland to stay in the role. Which he might not be on board with. Right, because he said, uh, to paraphrase a little bit, if I'm still playing Spider-Man at 30, I've done something wrong. Yeah, so I've got the quote. This was in an interview he did with uh, GQ earlier this month. Quote, maybe it is time for me to move on. Maybe what's best for Spider-Man is that they do a Miles Morales film. I have to take Peter Parker into account as well because he has an important part. He is an important part of my life. If I'm playing Spider-Man after I'm 30, I've done something wrong. Close quote. Well, two ways you can look at it. One, obviously, he wants to get to a certain level with his career sure. and, and do something else. I mean, sure. he might just even say, I'm done acting because you always kind of hear rumors that he's into like doing some other things. Sure. So that could be something to play. It might have just been a money ploy, too. Could be. He said, okay, if you really want me back, I'm going to say maybe I'm thinking about being done. And how much did they say, what will it take to keep you here? Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's unhappy. Like, that's the big thing, too, that I know some people are running with, like, oh, he's saying that he might be unhappy. He's not unhappy, trust me. I think he gets to a point where, okay, what else can I do with this character that hasn't been done? Now, I can understand him being burnt out, too, because look at Daniel Craig with his run in, of the Bond film. Oh, sure. You know, he got done filming Spectre, and people asked him, oh, are you ready to put on the Because he had one more, still had one more film under his contract to play Bond. And people went up to him after he just got done with a grueling cross-the-globe uh, cross film schedule. And they're like, oh, you ready to put on the 
the tucks one more time and play bond one more time. And he's, and he said, I'd rather slit my wrists. Yeah. You know, I, I can understand him being burnt out. And if he wants to step away from it, you know, they have, they write out Peter as just, Oh, Hey, you know, I'm going to go study abroad or, or go to, cause in, in the films he's in high school, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to college in Germany or, or some nonsense and then do a Miles Morales film or a spider Gwen, or there's a whole list of characters you can do to continue the franchise. And when he wants to come back, he can come back. I can understand that. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think you you hit the nail right on the head. They need to do a Miles Morales trilogy. They need to. I mean, the seat is there. Oh, it's absolutely there. But you have to think about how popular that character is. And the fact that I know that we haven't seen him yet. It's matter when, not if. Well, we saw his uncle in, what was it, the last movie? Yes. Or, or Homecoming. Or Homecoming we did. Yeah. But it's a matter of when, not if, for him. And once we see him on screen, I think they absolutely should do it. If Tom Holland wants to transition, do I think they would go the Ultimates route? I hope not. I sure as shit hope not. I, I, I That's don't, a great story, but yeah. Jesus, I hope not. I know. I mean, that that the story is amazing. If you haven't got a chance to read Ultimate Spider-Man, you should definitely go check that out. I don't think they would go that route necessarily. But if they did, I would understand, though. Now, if they bring in Ultimate Green Goblin, I'm okay with that. Well, I mean, there's so many different ways. If they wanted to really test the waters with the Ultimate Universe, that's the only thing they should really tempt with. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, stay away from Ultimate X-Men. <laughs> so that being said, I think with speculation for this new trilogy, if they wanted to split the duties between Tom Holland and whoever they're going to cast as Miles Morales, I think it would be a great idea. Yeah. I think, you know, the passing of the torch. Or if they want to come up with an original story and base it off one of the classics. Yeah. I, it just depends on what direction they want to go with. Because as it appears right now, No Way Home is going to be their Sinister Six movie, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. Yeah. That's been the dream of Sony for years. Literally since the early 2000s. Because you look at what they set up with the Raimi films. They had, you know, uh, they had Green Goblin. They did Doc Ock. They did Sandman. They did Venom. You know, they were they wanted to do Lizard and they wanted to do Vulture, but that didn't happen. So then they rebooted. Mm-hmm. And then in the, in the Amazing Spider-Man films, you know, you eventually you saw Rhino. You saw, you know, uh, Electro. You saw go- a Goblin. I don't remember if it was Green or Hob or whoever the hell it was, but you had a Goblin. Yeah. They were setting up for it again, but it bombed. So the track record is there of Sony wanting to do a Sinister Six movie. There were even rumors of them doing a Sinister Six movie without Spider-Man, which made no goddamn sense. You know, but they're finally getting it, and we'll see if it's been worth the wait. Well, that's going to be the big catalyst with this movie. There's so much going back to No Way Home that the announcement of the trilogy, this has to be a bookend for one story. Oh, yeah. But where it leads to now, especially with the multiverse being in play. Yeah. And that's the ultimate reset button for any idea that Marvel and Sony respectively wanted to do. Sure. You now have an open playbook. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? We've heard about how uh, Sony wants to cast a Craven movie, and mm-hmm. we've heard that that's on the table. And then, obviously, with Morbius coming out, where they plan on doing, we're going to have more Venom. They have a couple plans in place. Yeah. But for Spider-Man, I think the next phase absolutely should be transitioning to Miles Morales. And I, and I think if they continue with the Peter Parker, Tom Holland films, I think the Tony Stark aspect of things needs to take a back seat, if not get removed altogether. Oh, yeah. Because don't get me wrong, it made sense for homecoming. You know, the mentor, mentee, teacher, student thing. I get that. You know, and it made sense for Far From Home when, you know, he had just died. Mm-hmm. But the fact, you know, Tony isn't that tied into Spider-Man 
in the comics like he is in the movies. Oh, he's, a, he's around and he'll show up and he'll help him every now and then. But it's it's not as close as it is in the films. You know, so I would like to see maybe Tony and his legacy take a backseat and or maybe not just get brought up at all and really give time for Peter to be Peter. Yeah, I agree, too. I think that now you can step out of the shadow. He's he's solidified his place with the MCU and the Avengers. He is definitely the franchise guy. They can definitely do a lot of great stories with. He has a plethora of great Spider-Man stories from out the years. Oh, God, yeah. Wherever they want to go. I heard online that I guess people were really asking about Craven's Last Hunt. I don't want to see that actually on film. Mm. I'll be honest. Great story. I I don't want to see that on film. I'm not exactly sure what direction they're going to go in, but I like I said, I think they should go into Miles Morales. I think that that would be the perfect place to really do some new storytellings with some classic stories and see how the fans react to it. And I guarantee you they're going to knock it out of the park because once you bring him in, we already send the, the small stepping stones for Young Avengers. Oh, Christ, they're there, yeah. So, I mean, you, and if you don't want to call them Young Aven- Avengers, call them Champions, the book that's going on right now. You have a lot of playbooks to go with here. It's just a matter of what you want to call. So, Sony, the ball is going to be in your hands. I can't see you dropping it, and it's all going to go back to this movie of Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Everything that is going to come from this franchise moving forward is resting on that film's shoulders. It's a lot of pressure, especially on the actors involved, the director, the crew, because they now have set that bar so high, they can't afford to miss. It can't be a uh, it can't be a Phantom Menace. Sorry, it needs to be a great film. I have a good feeling about it going in. I've liked what I've seen so far, and obviously, if we are going to get Mephisto. As Benedict Cumberbatch, which I am calling, I've been saying for a long time now, and I think all signs are pointing to that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect way to hit the reset button after, and then whatever the franchise is going to take the place moving forward is going to be really, really something special to watch. That being said, we gave you a lot of Spider-Man talk to kick off the ODPH with. We want to hear from you now, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. How was your struggles about getting Spider-Man No Way Home tickets? And a special shout-out to our guys over at 3FN. If you have not heard their breakdown of the movie Ticket Struggle, you definitely need to go check out what Rich Ron and Diesel had to say about that on the latest 3 Fat Nerds podcast. And also, we have another franchise coming out in the Spider-Man universe. What do you want to see there? You want to see more Peter? You want to see Miles Morales? What stories do you want to see? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi everyone, this is Mark, the DM for Stranger Damies. What is Stranger Damies, you ask? Well, we're just a bunch of first-time D&D players exploring the world of Tal'Dorei 30 years after the events of the Coma Conclave, which was made famous on Critical Role. Join us every week as we roll some dice, make some mistakes, but most importantly, we have fun. New episodes air every Wednesday at strangerdamies.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast streaming app. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. And is it Wednesday yet? Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we are going to talk a little bit about Marvel Studios' Hawkeye. Yeah. Obviously, the series has come out. Big success thus far. Fan reaction has definitely embraced Jeremy Renner reprising the role of Clint Barton and Haley Steinfeld taking up the mantle of Kate Bishop. So we are going to jump into episode three entitled Echoes. And we are going to timestamp when we are going to break down the episode. So if you haven't seen episode three yet, fear not. 
check the liner notes of this podcast, watch it, and then come right back in at the spot because once we start deep diving, we don't like to stop. So in three, two, one, pad, what did you think? This episode was awesome and probably my favorite one of the series thus far. Absolutely. This episode really hit the ground running. And especially for anybody that is not familiar with the character of Echo, played by Akaya Cox. Mm-hmm. So we get open this episode with a flashback to her growing up. Yep. And Pat, what did you think about that? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I got thrown for a bit because I thought it was maybe Kate Bishop as a young girl, you know, and I'm like, wait, this doesn't seem like Kate Bishop. She seems a little different. And then the character started signing uh, using sign language. And I'm like, oh, it's Echo. And then I sat up a little bit. I'm like, oh, this is this is going to be good. Yeah, it definitely was. It was a, seeing her grow up and seeing how she was adapting to learning sign language and seeing how her relationship was with her father. Uh-huh. And how much that played a big role later on because we did get fast forward a little bit throughout her life. And seeing when she went to go see her father working at the garage. Yep. Well, somebody else was there uh, doing some business on their own. So it was a hooded uh, fellow uh, with a retractable sword. uh, Had a former alias of liking to shoot bows and arrows. Allegedly. Allegedly. Because we did not see the front of the character. That's true. And I did not pick up on that until you just said that. Yes. That's true. We never saw the face of said person. That's true. We just saw a hooded figure running around with a sword. Could have been Oliver Queen? Who knows? At this point, you never know. Multiverse, folks. Could have been Mephisto. I kid, I kid. (laughs) But we do see this character kill Echo's father. Yep. And then that kind of fast forwards to where we see our heroes of this show, Clint and Kate, are still being held by the tracksuit mafia. And they're getting tortured, interrogated. Like, I don't know what the hell you call this. They're stuck on 25 cent rides. You'd, you'd let your kids you know, play outside of the grocery store, you know, like a rock, like a horse rocking back and forth. And I'm like, what the hell's the point of this? Like, I get you're interrogating. You want information, but what's this supposed to do? Right. So it's kind of a little funny scene that's going on. I mean, I guess I think this at was, one point they run out of quarters. Yeah, they ran out of quarters and everybody's kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And Clint Barton with his shield background is really keeping his captors at bay. Uh-huh. He's not tipping off too much. And then once Echo comes out to see them, she starts asking a lot of questions involving Ronan. Mm-hmm. And Clint is very smartly not giving up anything. Oh, he's masterful. Yeah. The way that Jeremy Renner played the scene off was very good. And Alka Cox definitely was going back and forth with him. It was, it was a great scene because she's sitting there so aggressive trying to find out what happened with Ronan because she wants yeah. to extract revenge for what happened to her father. Yep. And he is so playing it off like he didn't know nothing. He throws the blame that Ronan has been killed on Black Widow. Yeah, so she's like, where's Ronan? Well, first he explains, oh, listen, she's not Ronan. She just found the suit, put it on. She's got nothing to do with it. Well, how do you know? Well, I know the person who killed him. Who? Or no, he tells her he's dead. Oh, how do you know that? Oh, I know I know the person who killed him. Well, who killed him? Black Widow. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? The person who killed the person I'm trying to kill is dead. How do you know? I was there. Yeah, it's just a very interesting scene to see how this all plays out. Because also during this time, too, we get another flashback, too, of her childhood and her mentioning about her uncle. Mm-hmm. And now I know this has really set the Internet on fire, so we will address it here. Sure. So as we're seeing, there is a mysterious figure that we see his hand 
and we hear a laugh. Isn't he wearing a tux suit? You can see a tux suit on the arm, too. A little bit, too. Yeah. And obviously, everybody ran wild with the speculation of who this person is. Mm-hmm. Pat, who do you think this is? Kingpin. Yes. Which, I mean, people had already been speculating since the first two episodes dropped because there was the one line spoken to, I believe it was Kate's mother or or, or her future father in law father, mm-hmm. um, that, oh, I have friends in powerful places. And given it's the crime, it's the mafia, it's New York. If you know anything about crime and mafia in New York, you know who's at the head. Yes, it's one Wilson Fisk. And the laugh is undeniably Vincent D'Onofrio, mm-hmm. which makes me an extremely happy camper. Uh, you and me both. Because he was masterful in his role on the oh Netflix show. Yeah. So we had heard speculation that he would be involved. We have not seen him on screen yet. So I want to say it's not officially a lock yet, but we have to cons- consider it's done. And I would think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Obviously, with Charlie Cox being heavily rumored about being in Spider-Man No Way Home, this makes perfect sense. You're not going to have one without the other. Yeah. They are magical on screen together. So once we see this happen, and obviously if you know the comic history of the character of Echo, you know that there are ties to Wilson Fisk. Mm-hmm. This is not anything that's a super sleeper if you read the comics. But nevertheless, when we go back to the story, Clint Barton winds up buying himself some time after... Echo is pulled away mm-hmm. because she's getting too emotionally tied into figuring out what happened here. He does make this dramatic escape from the twenty-five cent ride. I think he's on. I think he's on a unicorn. He, he definitely is. Like it's just a, one of those wild, you know, horse rides. Yeah. that kids usually take, and they have a great action sequence too, where you really see his shield training come into play. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't seen a lot of his hand-to-hand combat because, no. let's face it. In comparison to the rest of the Avengers, he is the weakest link. Well, and also they've been fighting folks who aren't exactly hand-to-hand combat specialists. Chitari, most of them were flying through the air. Uh, Ultron clones, flying through the air. You lo- uh, wasn't there for Infinity War, Endgame, flying through the air and running. So you're not exactly going to get in a fist fight. You're going to shoot arrows at him. Right, exactly. But for being just a normal human that shoots arrows, he still is considered that skillful that he is on the team. Yeah. Like, that's something that people really need to put in perspective. I know you can say, well, so is Batman on the Justice League, but Batman is a whole different entity unto himself. Clint Barton has earned his way onto this team because of what he brings, and that's a unique dynamic of just double-may-care to every mission that he, he has. has. A, you could say he has a unique set of skills, skills that make him a threat to people like us. Yes, definitely indeed. And then he winds up getting his bow back a little bit, we get a little distraction of, you know, he gets Kate Bishop free. They have a great fight sequence. Like I say, the action in this episode is what is really the highlight. Top notch because he gets free and Kate's instantly like, wait, how did you do that? How did you do that? And she's trying to like use the whatever she was on to, to cut her uh, duct tape free. And it's just not working, not working. So from like across the warehouse there, because I, I appreciated the warehouse. It was an old KB Toys warehouse, yeah. which is no longer around anymore. Damn it. You know, oh, I love that little Easter It's not an Easter egg, but I'm calling it an Easter egg. You know, he, from across the, the warehouse, he shoots an arrow and just perfectly, it skims the one bad guy's eyebrow, cuts him, and then comes down and cuts her bonds, you know, on her hands open. And she's like, time to go. Yes. And after Barton has to do a little hand-to-hand combat with Echo, he, they do escape. Yep. And then this is probably the most highlighted I could talk about this series thus far. Yes. They go on this epic, and I know that word gets thrown around a lot, 
The only way you can describe the cinematography of this is epic. Oh, it was top-notch, and it was unique. It was unique. This was the hallway scene of the Netflix shows. Not wrong. One take, one camera angle. That You see how they steal a car. A beat-up charger? A beat-up something. They wanted to take a 72, 72 charger. Oh, it was a charger they wanted to they take were, originally, but Kate, they didn't do Kate it. Kate wanted to take the 72 charger. She's like, let's take this one, because it was the first one out the door. Right. And and Clint goes over to the other one, other car there, and he goes, I'm not going to break into a 72 charger. Yeah. No, they, they, the banter back and forth between Seinfeld and Renner is, is really good, and yeah. it's really selling the show, too. They wind up stealing a car. And then it's one camera shot the entire way for the most part. Mm -hmm. The cinematography on the scene is absolutely stellar. This is something you really need to watch a couple times. And this is the hallway scene that we always say in Netflix where it's just one shot and that's it. What they're doing in here, too, we do see a little bit of Hawkeye's trick arrows come into play where Kate Bishop has to shoot them. Oh, that was awesome. Yes, because at this point, too. Hawkeye is without his hearing aid. Yeah, it got yanked out of his ear and broken because Echo said, you know, that he should try doing it without it, that it's a hindrance. Right. So they are really at the, you know, downside of this equation because the entire tracksuit mafia is chasing him through the streets of New York. Mm -hmm. It's an epic scene from top to bottom. Yeah, uh, and they're having a difficult time just communicating with each other because Hawkeye's, you know, temporarily deaf right now. He doesn't have his hearing aid in, you know. He's his as we learn later, his sign language is a little rusty. As we learn, his sign language is a little rusty, mm-hmm. you know. And also, you're in an action sequence driving a car through one of the boroughs of New York. You don't exactly have time to say something and try and read lips. No, you don't. So, the fact that this scene works as well as it does, they make this great escape off a bridge to the subway is truly epic. Well, and also, you got to give credit to both of their acting. For listen, Jeremy Renner's not actually deaf. Spoiler alert. Right. You know, but for Jeremy Renner's acting that playing off that like, oh, I can't hear her just so masterfully, and I legitimately believed it. Yeah, no, he he was stellar. Like I said, both of them in this entire scene was just really stepping their game up because you have to just take into account what's going on. They're getting hunted down. He can't hear. she's still so novice at shooting arrows of his trickery. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing, because they had the suction arrow, the foam arrow. The Play-Doh arrow. Yeah, like... the Acid arrow. This is such a throwback to the the 70s style of, you know, trick arrows that he always carries. It was just one of the cooler scenes that we've seen, because we haven't really seen it too much in the Avengers franchise. There's always been the kind of the straightforward arrows for the Normal arrow, explosion arrows, rope arrows. Yeah, it's kind of standard. Yeah, but this one definitely... Really stepped the game up, and really, it was just a fun scene too. Yeah. Like that's the one thing too. This show is really capturing the seriousness and the fun of the Fraction and Ja run. Mm-hmm. And definitely want to say David Ja needs more credit for what he's done for this series than he is getting. I I'm agreeing with the online movement. How he's not tagged in this stuff more is beyond me. Because pretty much every promotional poster that they've done has taken an idea or image that he's done and ran with it. Well, and also the end credits. Yes, he definitely needs more credit for this show, and I hope that Disney does the right thing and does him right and fixes his problem ASAP. Nevertheless, our heroes escape, and they're making their way back to basically trying to figure out what is going on Yeah, that Ronan is now such the figurehead of you know, Echo's anger. They're also trying to figure out what uh, Kate's future father-in-law, that's so weird saying. Yeah. 
Uh, there's a great exchange. They're on. They get on the sub subway train. There's a great exchange between the two. Kate's like, "Oh my god, we need to walk the dog. He's been cooped up all day." And then Hawkeye just starts talking because he can't hear her, and he's just talking, and he's like, "Blah blah 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 blah." And then he goes, "Oh, we need to walk the dog too. He's been cooped up all day." Yeah, which is fantastic because again. Cl- Jeremy Renner is not deaf. Like, he's hearing all of this and then masterfully repeating what she just said because his character can't hear it. No, he did a fantastic job this episode. So when they wind up going back to Kate's apartment to kind of, you know, regain plan everything going on, especially when she wants to go investigate the father-in-law. The future father. Yeah, that's – I can't can't even wrap my head around that for some reason. But nevertheless, her future stepfather, thank you – he does Clinton winds up getting a call from his family. Yep. And this even goes more into play of how he has to act that he can't understand what's going on. Kate has to be the interpreter to him mm-hmm. and just really try to balance out. Like everything is falling around me, but yeah. I'm still standing. And that's true. Hawkeye one Oh one. Yeah. Too. Cause the phone rings. And if I'm not mistaken, it comes up as his wife. It, yes. it calls up. It comes up on the caller ID that it's his wife calling. So he instantly just goes into, Oh, Hey honey, you know, can't talk right now. Really busy. You know, I'll call. Can we text? Can we text? And that's when, Kate holds up a notepad saying it's your son and he goes oh shit yeah once they deal with that they decide to go back to Eleanor's house Mm -hmm. where she's living with her you know Kate's stepdad future stepdad yeah still I know I know I just can't get my head wrapped around that because I know who swordsman is and this is going to end so badly well and don't they along the way like she starts telling him about her suspicions about her future stepdad yeah and he's like and, and Clint Hawkeye's like nah listen it can't be that bad she's like no listen I sword fought the guy and he acted like he didn't know anything but then he parried me perfectly yes and he goes okay yeah that's a little weird so something's going along the lines there and obviously, if you know the comics, you know there is a bit of history between Hawkeye and Swordsman, too. That They are kind of ducking a little bit from the show sure. right now, which I'm not mad about. Like, I, I thought I was going to say, like, that's kind of a little bigger piece of the puzzle. But, but keeping it simple, though. But, there, yeah, which it doesn't – it's not a bad ploy right now, especially because the series is only six episodes. Mm-hmm. So once they break into the uh, Eleanor's house, they try going through her business, which is Bishop Security, yep. and looking up the criminal database – of possible offenders that they would come across. Yeah. However, when Kate is doing this, because Kate says, oh, this will be easy peasy, she finds out that not everything is going her way, is it, Pat? Yeah, the login she knows, whether it's hers or her mother's or somebody or just some random person's, the login she knows isn't working. It's locked out. Yes. And all the meanwhile, so she starts trying to bypass it. Uh, and Hawkeye gets a little curious, starts wandering around, and uh, runs into somebody. Yes, he runs into Swordsman himself, who has the Ronin sword right by his throat. Yep. Fade to black. Would have been an awesome end scene. Would have been more cool if he walked around the corner and the sword popped out. Yeah, I think so. That would have been awesome. Yeah. But with everything going on and with all the action in the sequence, I was not mad about this. No. I just thought they tipped their hand a little bit too much. Yeah, maybe. Because... As we touched upon the beginning when we are getting the flashback sequence of when we saw Echo see her father get killed. Mm-hmm. Well, we never saw the guy's face. Swordsman had the suit for that illegal auction that was underneath the building of Episode 1. Mm-hmm. They have almost tipped their hand that yeah. he's the guy that killed her dad. Yeah. Which I think will make a lot of sense because in the comics, same kind of scenario happens but a little different. Sure. So I get it, not mad about it. But I thought for overall what they did this episode, 
Very, very strong. The action sequences popped off the screen. Pad, final thoughts on this episode? Great episode. Fantastic action sequences. And if we do end up seeing, you know, Wilson Fisk down the road, which I'm fully on board with, we, we are going to see that. Uh, I'm excited to see it. I am, I'm completely with you. I think that when the final episode of the series comes out, and we've only got, what, three more? Three more, yeah. There's four, five, and then six. So that'll be coming out, if I'm doing my math correctly, after No Way Home, because the final episode will be on the 22nd. Yes. Well, I think we're going to see uh, Wilson Fisk in that bonus scene at the end of the series. Could be. I don't think we're going to see him during the regular one, which is perfectly well played to do. Because you don't want to take away from the amazing job that they're doing right now on the show. Capturing the fraction in a jaw run is coming to life. The essence is really translating on screen. Jeremy Renner had one of his stronger acting moments that we've seen thus far in this episode. Haley Steinfeld was playing off him left and right. It was great to see what they were doing. Alkia Cox definitely was portraying Echo as a character that I definitely want to see more of. That I thought she just gave enough of her background without deep diving into everything. So we know everything going on at once. Mm-hmm. So I, I did like what that was presented to the table. And Dukanesque, a.k.a. Swordsman, I'm waiting to see what Tony Dalton does with this because he's just oozing that cheesy charisma mm-hmm. off the, here and then see how he plays off Hawkeye, especially now that it feels like they already tipped their hand. I really want to see how they can drag it on for two more episodes. That's where I'm kind of standing with it. That being said, you've got our takes on Hawkeye Episode 3 entitled Echoes. We gave our takes. Now we want yours, ODPH Society. So hit us up on those social media accounts. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Hawkeye, the series in general, and Episode 3? Let's talk. And remember, though, no posting on social media for 72 hours starting in effect Wednesday. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod. And check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Back again for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And we are going to recap the big event going on the CW Network right now. Yeah. And that is the Flash Armageddon. Mm -hmm. So since the Flash has returned for season eight, they're in the middle of a five-episode extravaganza, if you could say. Yep. If I may copy Rich from 3FN on that. Extravaganza. And we are seeing that Barry has been challenged by the villain Despero, Mm -hmm. um, who's basically said, you're responsible for ending the world, so I'm going to end you instead. Because that always works out. It, It definitely does because, you know, reasons. So that being said, we are going to recap episode three, Armageddon part three. Mm -hmm. You know the deal by now. If you haven't seen the episode, pause, definitely jump in, 
after the countdown, after you've seen it, because we don't want to spoil anything for you, we give you that fair warning. Because after the countdown, we don't stop deep diving. So that said, in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think about the CW's DC Comics, The Flash, Episode 3, Armageddon? Uh, was the best episode they've done thus far. Fantastic start to finish. And yo, that cliffhanger ending. This episode was probably one of the best Flash episodes they've done in two years. Probably. Easily. Easily. And I am not I have not been impressed by the Flash in a very, very long time. I think that for being a show that has the ability to borrow from one of the best rogues galleries in all of comics, they stutter stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. They decide to go in different directions. It just doesn't always connect. However, though, when they nail things right, they do it right. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we had a crossover coming in from Black Lightning, who's reprising the role as Cress Williams. Yep. So happy to see him back at the CW. And Barry is still invoking this idea that he is now buying into what Despero is telling him. Uh-huh. He's going to end the world. So he's yelled at the end of last week's show, Injustice, uh-huh. which fired me up, fired Dre Driven up, fired you up, because obviously if you're talking Injustice... What are we expecting, Pat? Uh, something to do or something along the lines of the video game by the same name. Yes. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, is Tyler Hoechlin showing up like as Angry Superman? Like, what is going on here? But we come to find out that it has a different term for the show. Yeah, we find out that uh, at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, Barry, Black Lightning, Kara, and uh, uh, Sarah Lance come up with this protocol in that in the event that one of them goes rogue, they have picked someone in the Justice League, you know, to basically take away their powers and remove them from being a threat. Because as Barry says at one point during the episode, if one of us goes rogue, the world is doomed. Yeah, it's a very interesting play on it. I was disappointed because I was expecting full injustice because I They're love that franchise. Full I know, but I can dream, can't I? Don't you already have the shitty movie. I know, but I need something better than the movie. The movie was a letdown. I don't want to get into it. It hurts too much. Nevertheless, we have our big hero versus hero fight going on eventually coming from this because Black Lightning is following Barry's lead because Barry has not given him every detail. He's, ho- he's holding some cards close to the chest. He's holding them very close because he's really not trying to put anybody else in danger, so he feels. He's well, trying he, to be- he also knows that Black Lightning as a father and you know as a teacher, if he tells him everything is going on, is not going to follow through on it. Yeah. And I think at one point in the episode, he goes, I knew you would react like this if I told you everything. Yes, but once Jefferson finds out, it's now a full-on fight because he's like, I'm not going to let you do this. And he starts bringing up Oliver's name yeah. and saying he sacrificed himself to the monitor for you. And and this might be the most counterintuitive fight I've ever seen in f- television history and in co- comic history. The man who controls lightning is fighting the guy who is powered by lightning. What? Yeah, that didn't really make a lot of sense. It was a cool fight, but I'm like, this is counter counterproductive. Yeah, I thought we were going to have a lot more explosions than we did. I'm not yeah. going to lie about it. Yeah. So they wind up having a big meltdown because once Barry's true intentions are coming to light, Jefferson is not hearing one word of it, nor should he, because no. it's an absolutely insane plan. But it's a dumb idea. But this is what Barry does at times. That he shows those big faults in his character, which I know is supposed to gravitate a little bit more. It's supposed to connect and do some stuff. But like when he does, it's like Barry, come on now. You're just you've been around this long enough. If you were still a rookie at this, I could understand. Mm-hmm. But at this stage of the game, you are the the big hero in the DC CW universe. Asterix because Superman and Lois doesn't connect with you that often. Yeah. Yet, hopefully next season we do. But you know, nevertheless, they have their big battle. Meanwhile, the rest of Team Flash 
is trying to figure out the mystery of Joe West's death. Well, they're trying to figure out how they, they want to help Barry because they say, listen, that's in the future. If we've learned anything from working with Barry over the years, we can change the future. You know, however, we got to go through it. So what we need to do right now is Barry is going through a mental health crisis. You know, we need to figure out how to help Barry. So they're all meeting together. And then Iris walks in and goes, uh, listen, Barry, Barry might not be wrong. Joe might not be dead. Yes. So now Iris is leading the investigation going on. She goes back to the scene of the crime with Allegra. Mm-hmm. And they wind up piecing together that, well, that train that allegedly hit Joe uh, was early and somebody moved him out of the timeline. Well, they get there, but it, it's one of these odd puzzle moments that, like, the puzzle just keeps growing because at first she looks at the footage. You know, the footage was given to her by another detective in CCPD after her father died. But just given the circumstances, and I understand it, you know, she didn't want to look at it. She, wanted, she just couldn't bring herself to look at it. So she finally looks at it, watches the footage, and, you know, he's there one minute and gone the next. So, like you mentioned, they go to check on it, and the guy goes, oh, you know, that's understandable. When we upload our footage to the server, you know, a lot of times there's a, uh, I, there was some sporting event going on. They didn't say what sport. I'm going to guess probably football or yeah, something. Yeah, I think so. You know, they're running at the same time, so data will get sometimes lost in the upload. But luckily, we back it up the whole time. And then she sees the footage from their hard copy, I guess you could say, that, you know, unlike the footage she had where he blinks and disappears, he doesn't disappear in this. So she kind of reneges and goes, oh, you know, maybe I was wrong the entire time. But then she digs into it further after getting convinced by Allegra that, oh, hey, no, listen, things don't seem right. She's like, no, yeah, somebody pulled him out of the timeline. Yeah, Candace Patton and Kayla Compton, who play Iris and Allegra, respectively, did a really good, solid job with yeah. his backstory. Like yeah. I said, you know, you can really tell of Iris is using her reporting skills to really dig in to find out what's going on. And once it kind of gets pieced together what's happening, yeah. they now have a real chance of, you know, uncovering the problem. Also, Iris's budding powers, question mark? Yeah, I did not... I don't know if figure she's, that out. I don't know if she's developing because they. I think in the episode they said it's a it's a result of time dilution. Is I think is what they said, aka the time she spent in the mirrorverse. So I don't know if this is her getting powers or this is just going to be a side effect for a couple episodes. You know, as a result of the mirrorverse and last season, and then it's going to go away. But interesting nonetheless. I kind of hope it's temporary. Yeah, just because with the Flash, and I, this is one drawback that I think with the CW is not everybody needs powers. I think it's also a little overpowered if you have a person that can just, like, look around, activate her powers, and go, oh, that's where the issue is. Yeah. Like, if you want the precognitive sense, sure. But that's kind of what you have with Cecile to a degree. Yeah. Who, I mean, Danielle Nicolette uh, had her own storyline going on, finding a, another brain-powered individual to... Mm-hmm you know, help figure out what they could do to hide, uh, to track down Barry, but also hide him from Despero. Uh, that did not go as well as planned. Yeah. I mean, the grand, they did track him down eventually, eventually, but Despero made a Cerebro, uh, reference. Yeah. That was cool. That I, which I was like, okay, we're, we're doing a little crossovers here. I don't want to get too fired up, but Despero winds up, uh, showing up to the party, taking out, uh, Cecile's, partner in crime mm-hmm. literally yeah and is on his way to go find barry yep because now he's been desperately trying to track him down but just for some reason he can't track him down but you know uh, cecile figures oh i know him but almost almost uh, i like the phrasing i know him almost better than anyone good phrasing yeah you know they and they track him down and but desperate does intervene and goes oh hey thanks bye yes so once 
Despero shows up to the fight going on between Black Lightning and The Flash. Everybody kind of turns their attention to him. Black Lightning and him have a great standoff, which, yeah. I, which I was happy to see because Black Lightning, I don't think is realized of how powerful he is. No. And Despero, like Despero is on a like a Superman type level. Sure. If you really want to break it down to like not up that high per se, but he's definitely uh, more of a heavyweight than they're portraying him on the show to be. They kind of, they kind of reference it. He's almost I think in the first episode or second episode, whenever they were talking with uh, Alex, Alex, she mentioned that he's almost as powerful as a Kryptonian. Yeah, or, like or his body is. Well, if you ever watch the or read the comics that he's featured in and he's done well, yeah, he's on that level. They really haven't done it. I understand CGI and budgets and sure, such. So, sure. so I take that with a grain of salt with this. We can't have everything we want. It's not an HBO Max budget. But nevertheless, you don't really get to see that power level go on here. But you, it's good to see what Black Lightning is facing off. And it's like, okay, now I get why he's on this team. Because he can really hold his own with some of the heavy hitters. I'd love to see this more in the comics, too. Yeah. But this buys Barry some time. Because once he comes to his senses. Because, you know, Iris and everybody comes and is like, hey, you're really not responsible for this. You got to go to the future and figure this out because that always works. Yeah. He winds up jumping in 2031, the year where everything is supposed to allegedly fall apart. This is where the show gets very, very interesting, but I will say this is probably my least favorite part of the show. I thought it was awesome. It was awesome, but predictable. And this is what I didn't like. So what happened here, Pat? Uh, so he jumps into the future, and I like how they attempted at making it look futuristic with putting one futuristic-looking car on the street. Yeah. But then there were cars in the background that weren't futuristic-looking. Hey, uh, he's on the street. He sees a sign outside of a building. I don't remember what the building was, but he sees, it says West Party. Mm-hmm. You know, and he walks in, and he sees... <laughs> He sees a gentleman standing on stage pontificating about, you know, fate stepping in and taking a face you never expect and blah, blah, blah. And if you pay attention, there's some faces we recognize in the crowd from Team Flash and various other things. Uh, just aged up a little bit because it is uh, about 10, it is 10 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we come to find out that it is, you know, basically a celebration at an engagement and an imposing, an impending marriage. I don't know if they're married yet or not. Uh, but here, Barthon is standing next to, he's got Team Flash, Alex, Ryan Choi, Ryan Wilder. And then uh, he's also got Iris, who he is either engaged to or is married to. Yeah, I think they're now married to. So Tom Cavanaugh is back. That's never a bad thing. Facts. Eborthon is back though, which we know he, you know, at yeah. the end of last season he did run away, and I don't remember quite. I tried looking it up, I don't remember quite what he said, but he said something about, "Oh, I'll be back" or something. Right, sense. right. Which I, I get, but it's like you were just here. Like we, you don't need to be in every episode. Like, like I said, I love seeing Tom Cavanaugh. Don't get me wrong. Hasn't been in four episodes. Yeah, but still, man, I'm three like time, top three time, whatever it is. I know, but it's just like okay, we we can go to a different villain maybe and do something. But then you'd be complaining it's another speedster changing the changing things. No, again. I wouldn't be because you know what I'd say it's like okay, if you're gonna do something different here, like Despero is not exactly somebody that deals with a speedster. Well, but Despero is doing what he did because. Thawne changed the past, which, let's face it, in the in the Flash Rose Gallery of folks who can change the past that we're familiar with on the show, Thawne is the only one who makes sense. Or unless they want to go back to Zoom. Yeah. But no. but still, I mean, like, I think they could have done something different. Like, I'm sorry. No, I could have done without another speedster. You could you can go with another people in time if you want. There are enough wacky hijinks that go on in the Flash universe that you could have done it and not had a speedster involved. I'm sorry. Like, the fact that we got Ybor Thawne back again 
it's like too much too soon. Yeah, I'm all right with it. I, I know you're good with it. Me, not so much. But I can, I can, I can deal with it because it's like the minute you started going to time travel, and the minute I saw him on stage, I was like, oh, we're going back to Thon. I got excited because Tom Cavanaugh's back. Well, that it's great to see him back. Don't get me wrong. I would have rather had him be somebody else, and then you see like the other villain come out. Like, how is it? And I understand the actor did not want to reprise the role, but you could not tell me that you couldn't get Captain Cold to come in. And do something. They'd have to recast. And right. They won't do it at this point. Right. I'm just saying. But like, you could have done it at this point and done something with it. If they didn't, if they didn't do it at the crisis point and multiverses colliding, they're not going to do it. Right. But I'm just saying, if you really want to do something different, Flash is arguably greatest villain, and you guys. I don't. Are, I don't see. I just don't buy Captain Cold going into the past to change the past and screw over Barry and his entire family. I mean, there's there's ways you could do it, but like I say, to see Thawne back again doing it is like, oh, really? Sorry, not my cup of Java. Like I, I get, I get why, but I'm like, if you're really gonna do it, I much would have rather had somebody else, maybe even like Vandal Savage or somebody, like do something. Isn't he dead? Yeah, he's immortal. Like it's always debatable. I, think, I thought they killed him. Well, like I say, he's always immortal. So it's like there's ways to bring it back. It's comics, there's reasons. Either way, though, we did get a very solid episode from the Flash. Mm-hmm. Like I said, can't be too mad about it. Except we got another speedster villain. Hey, Damien Dark's coming back, though. Neil McDonough. Right. I'm happy to see him back. I mean, yeah. if you want to say that Damien was doing something and tampering with the timeline, sure. That, see, that I'd buy. That that makes a lot that, more sense. That I would buy more than Captain Cold. Yeah, well, you know what? But I'm saying anybody but Thawne. Just because it's now we're just retreading the wheel and it's going absolutely nowhere. It's just going in circles. Like I say, I love seeing Tom Cavanaugh on screen. Don't get me wrong, but... It's better in small doses, so you appreciate it more if he's going to keep being thawed. Like, eventually a villain has to be defeated and they have to go away. See, the thing of it is, though, is they're not doing traditional full-season villains and full-season story arcs like you're, like you're used to. You know, this they're doing the graphic novel approach. You know, it's only the five episodes and then they're on to something else. So we'll only see him for maybe two more episodes and then bye. But right, but when we just saw him at the season finale. Like, that's what I say. Like, it's just you could space it out better yeah. is where I'm going with about this. Like I said, we got a debatable topic here for The Flash. So, ODPH Society, after Pat gives his thoughts, let us know what you think. So, Pat, final thoughts on the episode? Uh, great episode. Uh, great cliffhanger ending. I'm excited to see where they go with it, and I'm excited to see the explanation of uh, why the hell is he here. Yeah, like I say, in closing, again, like I say, it was probably their strongest episode they've done in two years. Uh, the ending definitely puzzled me a little bit, but then again, you know, it's The Flash and his reasons. Either way, we got a lot to talk about. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about The Flash, Episode 3 of Armageddon? We definitely want to have a conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got for those one shots? Got two things to talk about. The first of which is tonight uh, is the return of one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, it is, it is, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It returns tonight on FXX uh, for its fifteenth season. Jesus. Uh, yeah. So when it uh, debuts tonight, it will make. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It will be the longest running live action comedy series in TV history, uh, surpassing the previous record holder of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. 
That's uh, wild. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. The show started way back in uh, 2005, you know, as just a show about a group of folks who own a bar in Philadelphia, and they're just the worst human beings you could ever run into. This is true. Uh, you just go over some of the episodes over the years, you know, just absolutely outrageous. Cringe moments make you feel uncomfortable moments, but it's... It's one of the shows that I think has spawned more memes and more gifts than anyone else, any other one in history. Hmm. You really, you have to really think about it. Uh, but so the episodes return tonight uh, on FXX. They got two episodes premiering. The first of which is titled "2020: A Year in Review." And the description uh, on IMDb reads: "The gang looks back on 2020 to justify their numerous PPE loans as they contributed to the chaos of the past political year way more than anyone could have imagined." Oh my God, it's going to be outrageous. Now, we should note that the show is already, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has already done a uh, pandemic outbreak episode. Uh, this was way back in season uh, nine, episode seven, uh, titled The Gang Gets Quarantined, uh, where there was a flu outbreak in Philadelphia. So they're dipping into the toes yet again. Mm. Uh, so they got that episode tonight. And then the second one is The Gang Makes Lethal Weapon 7, uh, which reads... <laughs> Yeah, uh, they there were no Lethal Weapon sequels coming, so they decided to make a few of their own. Uh, and the description of this reads, Upon discovering that their self-made Lethal Weapon sequels have been pulled from the local library, the gang decides to address their political incorrectness by making another film, Lethal Weapon 7. Uh, and if you're familiar with the show and you know their previous Lethal Weapon movies, you know why it's politically incorrect, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Fair enough. I mean, it just blows my mind the show has lasted 15 years now. Oh, yeah. No, the first season, it, you know, takes some getting used to, but the show gets really good. I think in season two, when uh, Danny DeVito joins the show. You well, know, yeah, he has a different dynamic oh my God, to that he, show. It's just so good. There's so many good episodes over the years. You know, all the episodes are on Hulu, you know, and the episodes are going to be uh, airing uh, at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Check your local listings in your area on FXX, and it will be on Hulu the next day. Man, that's going to be exciting stuff. I'm so fucking excited. Uh, switching over to some TV book news, I guess you could say. Uh, George R. R. Martin apparently begged HBO to do 10 seasons of Game of Thrones. What? Yeah, so uh, this was reported by Insider. There's a book coming out titled Tinderbox, HBO's Ruthless Pursuit of New Frontiers, uh, which is by journalist James Andrew Miller. And it goes into some details about how George R. R. Martin apparently flew to New York and begged him to do 10 seasons, among other things. Uh, so it says, quote, George would fly to New York to have lunch with former HBO CEO Richard uh, Pipler to beg him to do 10 seasons of 10 episodes because there was enough material for it and to tell him it would be a more satisfying and more entertaining entertaining experience, uh, Martin's agent Paul Haas says in the book. Hmm. Uh, and reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, according to Haas, Martin also reportedly worried that HBO wasn't following his template in terms of plotting out the story. Quote, George loves Game of Thrones showrunners Daniel Weiss and David Benoff. Uh, but after season five, he did start to worry about the path they were going because George knows where the story goes. He started saying, you're not following my template. Uh, we And we all know how the final season ended with the twist endings and the this and the that. You know, it, in 2021, the show ended a couple of years ago. HBO is still apparently defending it, saying, quote, if there had been another episode or two, of course, that would have been helpful. HBO chief content officer Casey Blois said in Tinderbox. I would have been I would have taken two more seasons, but I do believe if you look at the totality of her, meaning Daenerys, arc over the series as opposed to the final episodes, her turn was more than earned and was planned, close quote. Martin, you know, is I guess 
Mixed on the ending, said, quote, I, I wish it had run for 10 years. I think it would have uh, given us a little more time in the later seasons to end it, but I, that might just be because I'm still trying to end the books here, close quote. Yeah, no, that's the issue. Like 10 episodes in 10 seasons would have been great and all, but it's 10 years since the last fucking book came out. Yeah, exactly. You know, the first book, Game of Thrones, came out in August of 1996. The second one, A Clash of Kings, came out in February of 1999. Third one, A Storm of Swords, came out in uh, November of 2000. November of 2000, Feast of Crow for Crows came out in November 2005. A Dance with Dragons, the fifth book in the seven book series. So mind you, we're still waiting on the wind, Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, the final two books. Mm-hmm. You know, A Dance with Dragons came out in July 2011. We're still we're waiting ten years, ten and a half years now on the sixth book. And by the way, he's still got one more fucking book to do. So they not only started it after you were in the middle of writing, you know, book six, they finished the damn thing before you finished writing book six. You can't complain and bitch about the ending when they hit a point and didn't know what the hell to do. And you're like, oh, just get to this point. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole problem that let's face it. Game of Thrones was the biggest thing on television for a good amount of time. Sure. You you can't deny it. Whether you love the show or hate the show, it was the pop culture show of the moment. Sure. Anytime you, as a author or content creator, sign up to do a TV show Uh and you're not finished, there is a certain deadline you need to be done for your TV show. They're not going to stop production for you. No. So... In Martin's case, like you can beg and plead for more time, but then it, you haven't finished the books. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're your own fault for this, just because the, if you go to the A Song of Ice and Fire Wikipedia page, it lists the publishing history and it lists the books, their their pages, chapters, words, the audio book length. You know, at the longest, A Storm of Swords is 973 pages, 82 chapters long, 414,604 words long. The audio book will take you 47 hours and 37 minutes. It's to finish. Yeah, I mean, come you on. You know, now. A Dance with Dragons is even longer at 1,056 pages, 73 chapters, almost the same number of words, 414,788. And then it, that one will take you over two days to finish if you listen to it straight through nonstop. Like, when you're writing these books that long, don't get me wrong, they're good books. They're long, and it took me two plus years to read the damn things. But when you take this long and you delay in your writer's block and you have to lock yourself in your house in a pandemic just to finish the things, it's your own fault. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I'm not, I can't be too wound up about it. I'm sorry, like... The, the series up through where he wrote the books was fine and they were great. It was once we got past that, you know, the cliff's edge, I guess you could say, where we were in uncharted territory where allegedly he told them how the book series was going to end. You know, just get there. You just got to get to this point. Listen, if that's all you're giving them, it's on your own fault. Exactly. Like I said, I don't feel I don't feel bad about this at all. I'm sorry. Like if you in it. I think what the problem is, is the reaction of fans had to the ending. Sure. That I think that it's like, in a weird sense, and hear me out on this, because I know sure. you, I know you've never seen Dexter. Sure. Dexter was great until the end. Sure. And the fans hated the ending so much sure. that it, it drove them to come back and redo it. Sure. I think in like a in kind of like a parallel sense, how bad the show was for the majority yeah. of people. Sure. Because I mean, there are some people that liked it. Sure. 
I think that that really just got under Martin's skin, in my opinion. I think so. And I think just because of how popular it became and how ingrained in pop culture it became for it to have the, the ending it did and the fan reaction it did, I think hurt him. And I've heard people say this before, and I agree with him. Game of Thrones has one of the more unique endings I've ever seen in that I've never seen a show so ingrained in our heads and in pop culture and in everyday life that once it ended, fell so far off the cliff, it's almost not even mentioned anymore. You have to think about it. It, it, it literally was. Because even even as great as Breaking Bad was, and Breaking Bad is, to this day, the best show I've ever seen. You know, it's it's not talked about every day, but it's still talked about fairly regularly. You still hear people talk about it and discuss it and just reminisce on it. Not super, not every day, but every once in a while. Game of Thrones? Christ, I can't tell you the last time I spoke to somebody about something in Game of Thrones. Well, this goes back to even what we were talking about in the opening segment. If something is so hyped up and doesn't deliver... yeah. It falls off quick. And well, yeah, well, I mean, look at when they were hyping up the battle of the battle of Winterfell. That oh, it beat Lord of the Rings: Two Towers is the longest cinematic battle sequence in in television or film television and film history. And we got to it, and we're like, that's it. Yeah, that they're like, oh, it took us a month of night shoots to film this thing. And even I was like, oh, I'm hyped up. I'm like, fuck, I love Two Towers: Battle of Helm's Deep. It's one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite battles in film history. And I'm like, I get to Battle of Winterfell, and I'm like, that's it, really? Give up the dream, man. Just let it go. Just finish the books. Take the L. You know what? The smartest thing he could do right now: write a completely different ending. Okay, you you now have all the time to write. Mm-hmm. You have no pressure from HBO. The prequel doesn't matter. I'm sorry. Whatever the show is that they're oh, doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that, Smith, yeah. Forget about it. Like, that's gone. Write your own ending. Because guess what? If it's that good, mark my words, somebody will remake the series. Even J.K. Rowling, because I can remember her, she had the ending of Harry Potter written and in her head before she actually wrote the final book. Yeah. Even she changed, you know, a bit of the ending and some of the characters who were there or weren't there you know, over the years. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. If you, if he's got the ending and his head, he can change it. Yeah. It's not, it's not like there's a gun to his head saying you have to write that ending. Exactly. You want to change the ending because it would be smart because you know what? More people will buy the book to see what happened. It's business. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, you can be mad about how people are tuned off to it. Guess what? If you write the book and the book is good enough, it's called word of mouth. It works a lot better than people realize. I'm just going to need like IGN, comicbook.com, Nerdist, or somebody to put together a video recapping what happened in the previous five books because I'm not reading those things over again. That took me legitimately. Oh. I'll have to look up it legitimately on my Goodreads. It took me legitimately like two plus years. Maybe I want to say maybe three or four, maybe five. Oh, somebody will do it. Somebody will do it on TikTok. Somebody, somebody, TikTok ain't long enough. No, somebody will do it like minute points. No, yeah. like You he, watch. Somebody has to recap those books before if the next one comes out. Probably be a podcast. Maybe. And no, it will not be on the ODPH. No, just we, putting, we ain't got the time for that. Just putting that out you, right now. You thought the NFL preview episode was long? Puh. I know. We'll put that to shame. Especially, I don't have time. I got comic reviews to write. Great segue, I know, because this week's parlay points at the comic shop. So, Pad, I know you are a fan of the Lord of the Rings type. You like that kind of yes. magical, mystical. I have a book for you, and I'm just going to show you this panel. Okay. Okay, now... I wish we had a video screen. I can't really show them. What the fuck? Oh, my Lord. Okay. That's insane. This is called Once in Future. Okay. It's a, it's an amazing book by Boom Studios. Kieran Kelly and Dan Mora do it, and it ties in King Arthur mythology to modern day. It's absolutely fantastic. Okay. This is a book I think you should check out. Here is the cover, too. 
I'm just going to let you show this. Ooh. Because I want Pad's honest reaction. I don't show him because I want you to hear this at home. That's cool. Yeah, this the whole book is badass. That's, a, that's cool. And I say, if you really want something different to try at, this, at the shops, I've been able to review the past couple of issues. Shout out to Boom Studios for putting us on the press list to do it. It's a fantastic read. And the visuals on this book are absolutely wild. You get this crazy idea to run with about King Arthur mythology, modern day mix, and mm-hmm. just let it go. It hits on all points. And the action sequences are absolutely intense as all can be. This is a book you definitely want to make sure is added to your pull list. Like I said, uh, Once in the Future, number 22, is out at studio or out of the shelves right now. Uh, DC-wise, a lot of Batman stuff. A lot of annuals this week, too. Uh, Batman the Detective, okay. number six, is out. So I believe that's the final issue of the series. Tom Taylor, Batman, enough said. And, yeah, there's the Robin annual is out. Nightwing annual is out. I, you know, it kind of throws me off when annuals start reappearing. Yeah. Because they kind of went away for a little bit in comics and then came back. Comicsology, The All-Nighter, number three is out. Mm. Chip Zdarsky and Jason Liu. Listen, if you're not on Comicsology Unlimited, I highly recommend it. Because not only do you get great books like this, you get the Scott Snyder, Scott Tober run. We Have Demons has been freaking fantastic. Clear has been on point, too. And Night of the Ghoul, if you want some horror comics in your life, go check those books out. Fantastic reads. And Marvel, the book that jumped out to me was Venom number two because Rom V is now taking over the helm. Okay. And Brian Hitch is on the pencils. And uh, the cover is very, very catching. I'll say that there. That's awesome. So definitely make sure you swing it down to your local comic shops. Go support them during this holiday season. I'm just going to put out a PSA too. If you have a pull list... Make sure you pay that up and get it caught up by year's end for the holidays. Make sure you don't have books hanging. If you haven't done your shops in a while, get down there and square up ASAP. I'm not going to go into details, but I'm just going to say get down there and make sure you're supporting them. If you're out there on Twitter and you're bumping in, like saying, yeah, I go to my comic shops, make sure you don't have a a pull list that's over a month long. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're caught up because it is supporting small business and you don't want to leave anybody hanging during the holiday season. Closing out this ODPH, my one shot, you know I wasn't going to let this episode of Fear the Walking Dead slip by. Okay. We had a lot going on, so yeah. I'm, I'm just going to kind of go into arguably bullet points of Episode 7 entitled The Portrait of Fear the Walking Dead Season 7. So listen, we do the spoiler warning, and I'm going to say it right now in 3, 2, 1. What did I think this episode was everything I was looking for? Albeit, though... It was a little different than what I've been expecting. Okay. Because this episode was a standoff between Morgan and Strand. Mm -hmm. You know I've been hyping this up, how Lenny James and Coleman Domingo have absolutely been crushing it in their roles, and they are just the frenemies that are like Professor X and Magneto in the comics a little bit. Yeah. Like, they don't like each other, but when they have to work together, it usually puts this very odd parallel to where they have to kind of swallow their pride to do this. Right. We have this episode where it opens up where Strand is getting his portrait painted, and it's it's a dictator. Mm-hmm. Just please, he's saying, "Don't paint me as you see me. Paint me as I see me." Right. And he's not happy, and you have all these people that are trying to get into their tower, which is the only place safe with the nuclear warhead that went off. That Strand is prospering, and somehow mm-hmm. he's emerged as, as this figurehead in this community. Until he gets one phone call from a character by the name of Arno. Okay. 
And Arno is part of the group that has been called the Stalkers. Ah. And they're the ones with that leaking nuclear warhead mm-hmm. that was found. And more or less, he's saying, you're going to lessen this building. Otherwise, we're going to infect everything around you, contaminating your food supply, your water supply, and walkers. Hey. So That's always good. Yeah. So this is a little interesting about how this plan goes. So during this time, too, Morgan has also shown up at an earlier stage, and his daughter is sick. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get to June, who's played by Jenna Coleman, as the nurse. Okay. And basically, Morgan is trying to do whatever he can to get in, and Strand ultimately lets him come in, which is kind of weird. Uh, yeah, interesting take there. Yeah, which, I mean, because from the first episode of the season, he threw the guy off the building. Right. The fact that he's letting everybody in, I, I I, just think it's kind of weird. But this goes to show of how broken Strand is. Yeah. And how power absolutely corrupts because he's you can tell he's not thinking straight. Right. And then during this time, too, he appears to be having a heart attack. So now he has to rely on Morgan to more or less go to the downstairs to fight off everybody to basically get some semblance of peace in his building. Yeah. It's a really, really wild scenario. And you kind of see him having to work together mm-hmm. because when he's trying to do this, Morgan is more or less bargained. He's like, I can get a hold of Grace. Grace has a SWAT truck. He, we have forces that can come in. We can definitely take out this threat while it's going on. Because Arno gave him an hour to decide if he's letting his people in. Otherwise, he's going to just basically take it by force. Right. So it is a little bit of a crazy scenario going on. Ultimately, though, after some great acting between Morgan and Strand, they do get the job done. Okay. And you think that there's going to be peace in the valley until you see that Strand, who's still weak at this time, too, like he's more or less forcing his way because his ego won't let him be at peace. Yeah. And, like, they have this great heart-to-heart about basically – the original plan was if Morgan wanted the child to stay here with Grace, he was going to have to do something for him. He was yeah. going to have to find Alicia, uh. who has been gone this entire season. Last time we saw her, she was in the bottom of your buddy John Glover's yeah. basement uh, surviving the nuclear war that was going on. Yeah. That was going to be the bargain. So they more or less come to this like friendly agreement like, okay, we'll help each other and let's go do this. When Morgan sticks out his hand to shake, there's blue residue on Uh-oh. his thumbs. It turns out that he more or less put a uh, some kind of poison mm. in Strand's drink, and it shows it leaked. Strand obviously loses his mind, as he should. Yeah, Strand's justified in this, and he's ready to throw Morgan off the roof. But like, this is the only point of the episode I really didn't like. Strand delayed too much. Okay. Like he's kind of like building up the moment, and it's almost like that super villain. Like I'm going to tell you my entire game plan before I actually do it. So at this point, Grace winds up calling Strand and saying, "I can get rid of the the Walker issue you have with the contaminations. Like you know, we can take care of all this, but the deal is you let Morgan live." And Strand goes, "Well, if you do that, you and the child are living here. He's gone." Yeah. She agrees. Oh. She has to. Well, she because it's more or less like. She's willing to do anything to save Morgan. So Morgan is now kicked out of said group. Uh Uh-oh. So he's on his own. He's now wandering, you know, on the open. Sure. He bumps into some old friends. Uh Uh-huh. He runs into Dwight and Sherry. Ooh, okay. So now he's, 
I don't know if he's officially part of their group, the the Dark Riders or uh, I believe the whatever their little faction is. Sure, sure. So, sure enough, Dwight's like, you're not going to believe what's going on. Mm. And they wind up taking Morgan to a camp. And Morgan comes walking out, and the leader basically comes up to him, and, and Morgan's like, uh, what can I do? And she's and reveals the mask. It's Alicia. Oh, so we haven't seen her since last season, and she's now leading this group. And she's basically breaking down about how she was freed from the bunker, and she's now, uh, you know, has her own camp, and yeah. she's not connected to anybody, and she's more or less just trying to figure out where she's going to go from here. Ultimately, there's going to be a confrontation with Strand. I would say so. Like, that's coming now. So, unfortunately, though, they do get attacked. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things. I give kudos to the Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead writers. And I know one of them is actually a subscriber to the podcast, so shout out to you, Nick. This is one of the more interesting ways that they're adapting to this universe that they're in. Because mm-hmm. this camp all of a sudden is having walkers come up to them. Uh-huh. And Morgan notices something weird. And he's screaming at everybody, stop shooting, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't, don't shoot. Sure enough, the camp fires and blows them all away. They kind of explode. And red cloud comes out of them. Like a radioactive cloud. Ah. So more or less, it was an initial weapon used against them so now they have to go run because now they're going to be infected from the radioactivity from these zombies Mm. fade to black wow a lot was going on this episode i would say so yeah like i say this really had a little bit of a payoff between morgan and strand Mm mm-hmm more so than we've had thus far. Except, like I say, their dynamic is so odd. Because, it, like I say, it's like Professor X and Magneto to a degree. Sure. Like, they really don't like each other, but when they have to work together, they do. And Strand, it was, it's almost like he has to prove himself to Morgan. Mm-hmm. Which is so weird. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to describe, but he just he can't be happy in his own skin. And even when, at the end of the episode, after he's made his decision, he gets the painting, which he threw off the roof again, too. Strand's got this weird thing about throwing stuff off roofs. I'd say so. Just go with it. And he brings the painting back in, and it's all stepped on and torn. And uh, his assistant there is like, do you want another one to be made for? He goes, no, it's perfect. Leave it up on the wall. Hmm. And you can just see how the foundation is cracked with Strand, that he is basically gone on this mantra of like my instincts have gotten me through this far everything i've chosen to do has worked i'm the reason we're surviving it's me 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 and it's so just well done like i I can't scream about how much coleman domingo is just absolutely crushing this role and especially being the major antagonist he's just doing so much good work on this show it's not even funny him and lenny james just i was expecting more from their battle and especially, like, when he he had the chance to throw him off the roof, he didn't. It was, it was like his guys were ready to do it, and they just delayed after they had the standoff in the elevator. Yeah. Like, after the poison was revealed. It is a very interesting episode, to say the least. And it's like I say, if you're looking for something different in the Walking Dead universe, give Fear a shot. It's the best one they've done thus far. Next week, though, 
Mid-season finale time. Ah. So the episode is titled Padre, so you know I'm going to be covering that. But definitely I want to interact with some people about the portrait. And like I said, shout out to our guy Nick Benadrome. Uh, he is a writer for this episode, actually, of Fear the Walking Dead. Okay. And he does follow the show. So definitely shout out to you, Nick. We'll be talking a little off air about this as well. Because, like I said, very strong episode. Thought they just telegraphed a little too much about Strand dealing with Morgan, though. But I can stomach that. That's a perfectly excusable ending to a great episode. <sighs> that all being said, Pat. The music you heard on this episode, though, of the ODPH is that of Shout Out the Robots. They are fantastic people. If I want to find out more about them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section at ODPHpodcast.com. You check out everything going on with them. Everything going on with Floodlands. Everything going on with Second Suitor. Tom Jolo. Brian Wolf, who is back to streaming on Wednesday nights. Hey. So if you're looking for some great music during the holiday season, go check every group that we have on the music section out. Go support them. They are fantastic people. Tell them we sent you. They'll say thank you, and they'll let us know. And you know what? We thank you for doing that, too. Also, check out Parlay Points. Like I said, new comics blogs up, so you want to see once, once in future, number 22, you go there. You want to hear about Pocus Hocus and all the great books that we have up there, too. I'll definitely shout out to the creative team there because, you know, they're going to be coming on the podcast sooner than later in 2022. You simple. You can find all your comic reviews right there. You can check out the wrestling blog, which I'm going to try sneaking out one before War Games this Saturday because we got a lot of wrestling to watch this week. Before weekend. what on Sunday? War Games! Thank you. We got a lot going on in the blog section, so you definitely want to make sure you're following, subscribing to that. Let me know what you're thinking. If you want something to get covered, maybe we'll you know take a step back and do it this week. I don't know. We're going to have to see how it plays out. Plus, Monday, Mondays with Dre. I know we got a new one coming sooner than later, too. Also, while you're on the website, definitely go check out the classified section, which has friends of the show. So if you're looking for some great businesses to support during the holiday season, right there you go. Tell them the ODPH sent you. We also have organizational link support and Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we are in via their Podchaser pages, because I say it once, I say it a thousand times. If you claim you're in a group on Twitter of podcasts, and your group is not represented on Podchaser, you're not in a group. And just wait till Good Pods gets on there, because I got a I got a feeling they're going to get on there soon. And if you're not listening on Good Pods yet, and you want to support any podcast, make it a point to do it today. We're on there, so is a lot of our friends, and they are doing great things for the independent podcast community. So definitely, we want to shout out to the Inner Circle, shout out to the Apocalypse, and of course, shout out to Six Hundred Seven Podcast and our good friends over at Eight One Two Two Productions, doing big things on their Patreon as well. All of that and so much more. Pad is at odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only, Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. The darkness has crept into
Get out.